Well, welcome to uh, another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General podcast. I uh, know Steve today. Uh, he is in the Navy and is uh, going to be uh, out for a few weeks. So in the meantime, I do have um, some guests lined up that are going to come help me out with the show. And so for this episode, I'd like to introduce Josh Hadley. How are you doing, Josh? Me. Uh, I understand. Um, well, like I said, Josh is an old pro at podcasting. Um, uh, Steve and I were pretty inexperienced, but uh, Josh has done a few different podcasts. So why don't you tell, before we begin with our topic, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Josh, and some of the podcasts you do? I don't call them podcasts. I call them internet radio shows because they air on jackaloperadio.com. And I just, it's a distinction that means a lot to me. So I call them internet radio shows, but I do one called Lost in the Static, one called Radio Drome, one called What the Bleep, although <laughs> it's not bleeped, but you asked me to keep my language clear. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> and and then I, I produce a couple others for my site, 1201beyond.com. And I'm just kind of a loudmouth with a forum, and that's it. Okay, so the, and I have listened to several of your uh, podcasts. I've Yes, internet so, radio shows internet radio shows sorry um but yeah definitely if you have a chance do check out um you know lost in the static's a good one and uh his what the bleep one which is a more of a current event show uh like i said i do enjoy that one as well uh, lost in the static's interesting because that one i know you've dealt with a variety of topics in that in that show uh from looking back as um because i know you and uh, one of your former co-hosts uh scott who's also a friend of mine as well, uh, you guys were always saying, you know, you're very similar in that you grew up in the, the 70s to 80s. So I uh, wouldn't that show you, um, you know, you guys have looked at back on popular culture. And now the, I know you've recently made some changes. Uh, Scott has left the show and you've got some new hosts. Do you still follow that similar format where you discuss uh, more like what it was like growing up and being a child of the 70s and 80s and coming of age in that time? Not really. Uh, with the new cast, I decided when Scott decided to move on, this was a chance to reformat the show. So now there are three to four hosts, and it's more like a roundtable discussion of media and pop culture in general. And it, it's it's all over the place now because I've got a younger guy from Canada. He's in his early 20s. And then I've got an older guy from the U.K., and then I've got a young comic book artist who is a female comic nerd who is a little bit younger than me. So we kind of skew different countries, which gives different cultural ideals to, say, the same, you know, comic books or video games in Canada and the UK. They're going to give a to have a totally different cultural perspective than Sarah and I will being Americans, you know? Yeah, that's cool, and that, that is interesting. I, I think you certainly bring up a point that uh, not everyone considers is the fact that different uh, different countries, different cultures will have different ideas as to what is considered controversial or acceptable. And that certainly works into the topic for today's show, which is going to be about controversial video games and a couple other uh, games as well. So I'm sure this is a topic that you've uh, discussed a few times in your podcast. I'm sorry, your your internet radio shows. They they've come up, but I've never like I've never devoted an episode to it. But they've come up. Okay, and 
So while we discuss these uh, these games today, please understand it's not our intent to offend anyone. So if you are offended, uh, please accept my apology. My Don't you speak for me. I want to offend people. <laughs> okay, well, like I said, I apologize. So uh, I'm not trying to offend anyone. And, uh, but, and Josh has promised he'll behave, right? Or try to. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. So now uh, going back, um, I have a feeling we're about the same age. I'm currently 39, and I think you're uh, about the same age, maybe a little bit older. So I, I'm, I was born in 75 as well. Okay, so yeah, we're about the same age there. And uh, looking back specifically at video games, uh, one of the things we're going to talk about are games that were either controversial because of their subject matter, or in some cases, there's games that they were almost in, they were intended to be controversial. Uh, I mean, was how's the saying go? Nope, that uh, bad press is good press. There's no such thing as bad press. Yes, that's what I mean. So, and yes, there is. And some of the examples we'll give. Yeah. Yes, there is. So, one of the games I would like to start with is it's one I've never actually played. It was for the Sega CD. And I don't know about you, but I never had a Sega or a Sega CD when I was growing up. I was more of a Nintendo man. Oh, I'm 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 a dyed in the wool Sega guy. I'm a <laughs> Sega guy. I didn't have a Sega CD growing up, but I have one now. And if you're referring to Night Trap, I, guess I do again. have I do have the game. It it's. Well, first of all, it's not a Sega CD game specifically. It was a PC game first. It was actually okay. ported to the Sega CD. But it's not a very good game. It's one of those ones that the only reason anyone knows Night Trap today is due to the ridiculous controversy when it was out. Otherwise, this game is utterly forgettable and borderline unplayable. Yeah, and I said, since I've never actually played the game, and it sounds like you know a lot more, you're going to have to keep me honest here, because anything I know about the uh, Night Trap just comes from articles I've read or videos I've seen. And now the plot, from what I, I remember, uh, you're basically watching security cameras because there's a sleepover, and you're trying to prevent, I'm not sure what they called them, but they were supposed to be these vampire-like creatures. And... So what you do is you have to flip back and forth between cameras, and when you saw one of these vampire-like creatures, you were supposed to activate a trap to save the girl involved. And as I recall, one of the controversies about the game is people were concerned it was promoting violence against women. Now, one of the video clips I remember seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the vampires were basically people in full-body black suits that were using large, unwieldy backpacks with some weird gun-like thing. They were uh, slouching and just kind of waddling. And when they were, they would take a victim, they would put this collar around their throat and you'd see a little spark of electricity. Uh, is that what it would look like when the vampires attack? Yeah, but you also got to realize that uh, former Different Strokes star Dana Plato starred in this game. This is really close to the end of her career. She was on the down skit. And she's an undercover agent for whatever the anti-vampire league is. It's like ACT or something like that. I don't remember yeah. off the top of my head what that stands for. And you're also a member of this of this organization, and that's why you're watching the monitors to help her. And 
Yeah, the vampire things are they're not what you think of when you think of a vampire. The, these are more like you ever watch War of the Worlds the series from 1988? Yeah, I did. It's it's been so long since I've seen it though. I don't remember all the details, but I have seen it. Well, the the, the vampires in this reminded me much more of the advocacy in that. That they're like just these these rain rain suit slug things and yeah the, Calling them vampires is a real misnomer. Yeah, and from what I understand, because I remember seeing an interview with one of the producers of the game, he said they tried to make it these creatures so over the top that there's absolutely no way anyone would take it seriously and see these guys as portraying violence against women. Did it really work out that way, though? No, but one of the another one of the big controversies about this wasn't so much the violence. It was the, and I'm putting the word in quotes, sexual angle. Because, well, obviously all the actresses in this, there's no nudity, but they're all in, you know, skimpy lingerie or just in their panties and bra and whatnot in various scenes. They're all over 18, but they're all, with the exception of Dana Plato's character, obviously, they're all playing pre-teens, like a 15-year-old slumber party. So it was sort of very prurient, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was one of the issues. Yeah, so the, in this case, you think the only reason that it's safe to say the only reason that people still talk about Night Trap is not the game itself, just the controversy surrounding it. Right. Because do you know what the first real controversial video game was? Back uh, in the 70s, Death Race. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Never played it, but wasn't that one where you were basically driving around running over people, and whenever you ran over someone, it. Um, it created a grave yep. underneath them. Yeah. And th the death race thing, I don't think it was supposed to be based on the Roger Corman movie, but it could have been. Yeah. And it's interesting to think that there, especially for older people like us, that it's, it's hard for us to think that there were games from the Atari age that were considered controversial. Cause if you look back, I mean, a lot of those games are what just squares moving around on the screen where you know, you're lucky if your character looked like a person. Well, this is actually this actually predates the Atari age. This was a oh. uh, this was an, a, a, a coin op game in the '70s. You got to remember, Atari didn't come out until the late '70s. Yeah. This is like 1976. Okay, they actually show one of the characters actually plays this game, or it's in the arcade in Romero's Dawn of the Dead. And even when uh, moving on to the NES era. There were uh, one game I, I remember playing, Mike Tyson's Punch Out, which I personally didn't see much of the con anything at when I first played it. But I guess uh, there were people that were saying it was controversial because of some of the the racial stereotypes in that game, which were actually worse in the coin op version. When it, before Mike Tyson endorsed Punch Out, it was it was just Punch Out mm -hmm. before it was Mike Tyson's, and. Like, re remember Soda Popinski, the, the Russian? Oh, yeah. In the coin-op game, he's Vodka Drunkinski. Yeah, not, not certainly not stereotypical about Russians at all, right? <laughs> exactly. And, like, there was a lot more racial stereotyping in the coin-op game than there was in the Nintendo version. Even though that was still controversial, just go and look at the coin-op one and you'll go, Oh, my God! Yeah, and it's and I can I'm certainly not surprised that they uh, made those changes because Nintendo back in the day, you know, had some really strict uh, 
really strict uh, policies, uh, especially with regards to like gore and religious symbols. And one thing that was actually interesting, are you familiar with the NES game Bionic Commando? Not the NES version. I played the coin-op a lot. I've heard they're two radically different games, though. Yeah, they are. And one of the things that's interesting about Bionic Commando, in Japan, the full title was Top Secret, The Resurrection of Hitler. Um, however, when they brought it over to the U.S., they tied it into the Commando series because it was the first Commando game where you were playing the character Super Job. And they had to change a lot of the things. Like, for example... The in the original version, the flag had a swastika on it, but in the Bionic Commando NES version, they changed it to an, an eagle. Uh, however, one thing that's interesting is at the very end of the game, um, Hitler, well, the, the main enemy, I forgot what they call him in the, the Bionic in the NES version, he's like, Oh, you're gonna try to stop me, you damn fool. And you know, of course, when you're a kid playing these, it's like, Wow, you. Didn't see that in the NES games. And another uh, scene that's interesting that made it intact is you blow up the Hitler's head with a rocket launcher at the end of the game. And again, you see his head blow into pieces, which how that made it past the, sense, the NES sensors, I don't know. And of course, another one, uh, the any sort of religious imagery. Like were you, now, did you ever play in any of the, any of the older Castlevania games for the NES? Oh, yeah. Uh, Castlevania, obviously it's Super Mario Brothers because it came with mm -hmm. the system, but Castlevania, Top Gun, and 1941 were the first three games I got the Christmas we got the, the NES came out. Yeah, and the, one of the things that surprised me, and well, I mean, looking back, I mean, it didn't really, it wasn't, I didn't really look at it as that big of a deal when I was a kid, but uh, of course, in the uh, the NES, you know, Castlevania, and in uh, Simon's Quest, and also Dracula's Curse, the third one, there's little crosses and religious imagery is pretty apparent. When normally in most games of the time, they would uh, censor that stuff out. Like in the Castlevania 1 and 3, sometimes an enemy or a candle would drop a rosary, a little cross. And if you picked it up, it would destroy all the enemies on the screen. And of course, in Castlevania 2, uh, Simon's Quest, you go to a church, which is clearly marked as a church with a cross on the outside, and you would, that's how you would regain your health. Um, so again, I, I thought it was interesting that they, well, looking back anyway, I thought it was interesting they allowed those in, considering how they tried to have their developers uh, remove religious imagery. But then that all came back, not, not with Nintendo, obviously, but Splatterhouse, when that came to the TurboGrafx-16. If you look at the Splatterhouse or the TurboGrafx-16 version versus the Coin-Op version, the Coin-Op version, one of the bosses you fight is an upside-down cross surrounded by bleeding upside-down crosses. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's something you would never see in on an NES game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the TurboGrafx-16 was still kind of pushing the bound. TurboGrafx-16 was kind of that middle ground. Nintendo was sort of the family safe. Sega was pushing the boundaries of, you know, extreme. Yep. And the TurboGrafx-16 was kind of in the middle. I honestly think if Splatterhouse had been a Genesis game instead of a TG-16 game, th that imagery may have remained intact. Yeah, and I could, I agree with you on that because, as you said, you know, they were trying to go for the extreme. I probably don't do that as well as you do, but um, 
because again, back in that age, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure and we're getting a little off topic here, but I'm sure you remember the console wars where the various images they were trying to present, Nintendo wanted to present itself as the family alternative, whereas Sega with the Genesis, they wanted to try to market more towards the teenagers. Hell, the the slogan for the Sega, and you could never get away with this today, was <laughs> Genesis does what Nintendo don't. Yeah, if they did that today, there would be lawsuits flying all over the place. Um, but yeah, it's one of the things I remember from the console wars, and maybe that's you know a topic I might re- revisit later. Uh, but since we're in that era with the 16-bit, um, now... Let's see uh, what sides we fall on here. Were you a Street Fighter man or a Mortal Kombat man? Uh, it, it depends on what we're talking about. In the arcade, I was a Street Fighter 2 player. We didn't have a Mortal Kombat machine near me, so I could only play that at a pizza place that's about an hour away. But the arcade had a Street Fighter 2. On the other hand, for the Sega Genesis, and like I said, I was a Sega man, so I didn't even bother with the SNES version. I was a Mortal Kombat guy, so I'm 50-50. Yeah, for me, honestly, I like the gameplay mechanics of Street Fighter 2 better. I've always found the control to be a lot smoother. Um, though I will admit, Mortal Kombat, when you look at the all the games, it actually has a better overall story behind it. Um, but of course, and they also didn't release the same game 16 times. Oh yeah, I mean, how many Street, Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Turbo Edition, Street Fighter 2 Turbo Extreme Edition, Street <laughs> Fighter 2 Turbo. I mean, seriously, there are 16 different versions of Street Fighter 2 just in this era. Yeah, I I know. I mean, it was it was crazy, and there was a I know there was a video game magazine which I forgot which one it was, but uh, they were saying that they're basically saying, well, look, this was back when Street Fighter 3 was coming out, and they're like, yes, they are finally getting to Street Fighter 3, when, as you were mentioning, yeah, they had you know, Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Champion, Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Street Fighter, Super Street Fighter 2, so yeah, it was just insane, but, uh, of course, one of the things that was different about the two is not just the graphics, but blood and gore, so the now, you said that you played the uh, the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat? Well, I, I did play the coin-op version at a pizza place, but that was relatively rare. But yes, I, I bought the Genesis version, one, because I had a Genesis, and two, because that was the one that was the closest approximation until a year later when it came out on the Sega CD, when it was an exact port. But the Sega Genesis version was the closest approximation to the coin-op version, whereas the SNES version was nerfed, completely oh, yeah. nerfed. Yeah, like the Johnny Cage, I believe his fatality uh, would he punch your head off. But I think in the Super Nintendo version, he just basically kicked you in the chest. So that, that was one of the, thing, the main differences. And of course, with the Super Nintendo version, when you punch someone hard enough, it, they just had a, glot, a cloud of sweat fly away from them instead of a big cloud of blood. Um, and I, Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but for the Genesis version, didn't you actually have to enter a code in order to get the blood? Yes and no. You you got some of the blood right away, but, if, but there was a blood code you could put in that made it more gory. So, yes and no. There was another Genesis game, and that was also 
completely nerfed on the SNES that never really got all that much controversy, and that was RoboCop versus Terminator. Hmm. In the Genesis version, and, and this is before the blood code. There's actually a blood code you can add in RoboCop versus Terminator that makes it more gory. But in just the basic version, because you play as RoboCop, mm -hmm. you're shooting people. They just explode into torrents of blood. And the first boss explodes into this giant gore fest with <laughs> bones and blood everywhere. Wow. And because, uh, yeah, that would make sense. I mean, I remember, of course, uh, Officer Murphy's death scene in the in the first RoboCop movie. And yeah, it's the RoboCop movies. They were pretty brutal. So, yeah, I could definitely see why they would uh, make it that gore fest. Um, and like I said, there was a blood code to make it gory -er if you wanted wow. to. And then the, the game was also on the SNES and there was no gore. You just shot people and did the blink, 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 and they're gone. You shoot people in the SNES version, they're gore. They're not gone, they're gore. Wow, that's, yeah, I said, I'll have to check that out. I'm sure there's like, you know, videos of YouTube on it. I'm sure there's probably playthroughs of it on YouTube. Because, um, I mean, I know there was a, one for the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo. I didn't know there was one for the, the, the Genesis. But, well, uh, moving on. So, of course, Mortal Kombat. I know we got a tad off topic, but, of course, it caused a huge amount of controversy. And one thing I do like what they did is, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but in the later games, they added the babalities and the friendships. That was actually kind of a satire on the controversy. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I thought that was kind of funny why they that that they did that. So, um, I forget. I think what's the name? Jack Thompson, the one that was. Yeah, he was the Miami attorney. He 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 made himself a crusader against video game violence. He's also the guy that made himself a crusader for purity and got two live crew, two live crews nasty as they want to be album declared legally obscene, which is just offensive to me that he did that, not not the album. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not a rap fan, um, but yeah, I can you know certainly see it's like, okay, come on, they put the stickers on, you know, it's enough. It's it's up to the parents, you know, parents, you got to teach your kids violence. Well, you got to you got to talk to them about this kind of stuff, and that's one of the things where, I mean, I don't know how how do you feel? Well, how do you feel about the electronic rating system? Well, Mortal Kombat was specifically that, along with Night Trap are the reasons the ESRB was enacted. So in a way, they shot themselves in the foot. I, I think I'm kind of 50-50. I know I've been saying that a lot tonight, but I am 50-50 on this. I don't like it as a video game fan because I don't think any kind of censorship is called for, and I consider that a form of censorship in the same way that even if the MPAA does not consider themselves a movie censor, they are because it creates a chilling effect for instance, let's say you're just making a game. You know, let, let's go back to 1994. You're making a game for the Genesis. You want to put in a really cool death for whatever those third stage boss is. Now, you know the ESRB is going to come down on you. So your bosses might tell you, avoid anything that's going to get you an ESRB rating above 14. That's in-house censorship. That's censorship without being censors. And that creates a chilling effect. So I don't like the ESRB on that stance. On the other hand, as informational, I don't have a problem with that for parents. That they can look at the game and go, this has got sex, this has got violence, maybe this is not right for my 12-year-old Timmy. 
Yeah, and, and I'm I'm on the same page with you there. Uh, yeah, some of it I think it did get kind of ridiculous, but I mean, at least it for parents, once they know what it means, okay, if you've got a 14-year-old kid and they want to get a game that has a rating of a rating of M, you know, at least you know, okay, this is what I can expect if I get this game for my child. So, you know, I may need to talk to them about some of the things in there. So let's uh, move on to the, the next game I'd like to talk about, which I don't remember if the, I don't know if this one was uh, ever ERSB rated when it first came out. Good old Doom. Now, did you ever, uh, have you ever played many of the Doom games? I've never been a big Doom guy. Uh, I mean, it, it was only until a few years ago that I really got into FPSs. Otherwise, the whole first person thing always bugged me. Doom... Doom just never did anything for me. I mean, if if people like it, I'm not going to take that away from you. I just never got into it. Yeah, and like I said, I get I'm on the same page here where I I played the first one, the shareware version. Um, I it didn't really, it didn't get me hooked in, but I wasn't. You know, I'm not. I, it wasn't a bad game. It's just not the kind of games I usually like to play. So I'm not. I'm one of those people. I'm not you know, oh, Doom is bad, but I'm not, oh, Doom is great. But I remember that one caused a lot of controversy because of the, uh, you know, the that satanic and occult imagery in it. And of course, the blood and the gore, which, okay, looking back, that was pretty tame compared to what they can do with the effects now. But, but also, don't forget the game that predated Doom, Wolfenstein 3D. Oh, yeah. That also, when that came out on certain platforms, had all the Nazi imagery and the gore and like the shooting dogs and that removed. Cause I, I, I don't think you kill the dogs and I don't remember if that ever came out for the SNES or the Genesis, some console, you didn't kill the dogs. You put them to sleep and there was the little Z's ah. above them, you know, because they couldn't endorse animal cruelty. A little off the uh, topic, but still sort of relevant. Uh, I'm one game. I remember that I played a lot for the NES uh, Contra. And the when it was released in Europe, I think it was called like Probator or Probator. But one of the things that they changed is because the laws back then you couldn't have games where you're shooting at people. So oh, they changed them to robots. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So they basically the game, from what I understand, the gameplay is still the same. Only now you're shooting robots, and you are a robot instead of people shooting, you know, humanoid aliens. That's as ridiculous as the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Yeah. In the UK, you couldn't use the word ninja or show any ninja weapons, so they were not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They were the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, and they specifically had to edit around and or reanimate certain segments with specifically Michelangelo's nunchucks to I, – I can't remember what weapon they gave him, but it, it was – It was grappling, like grappling okay, hook, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you you have to remember, for the listeners, different countries have different cultural views on the same stuff. So we're coming at this from an American perspective. International listeners might go, wasn't even close to that in my country. What the hell? Yeah, because uh, I, for several years, I worked at a Boy Scout camp, and we were part of the International uh, Scout Exchange program where we would have guest staffers from other country, and there were a there were uh, three years that I worked on staff where we had stu we had uh, I almost said students scout uh, staff members from England, and I remember in '94 there was one uh, staff member I was talking to who 
we were, I don't remember how we got to it, but uh, we were talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that's when I first learned that it's like, yeah, they call them Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles because I guess they deemed that the word ninja was too violent or had too much violent connotations for a kid's show. You want, you want to hear one that's even worse? Sure. Specifically to get around Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the the ratings board in the UK banned the word chainsaw. You could not use the word chainsaw in a film title. Mm-hmm. So like a movie such as Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, they couldn't market it as Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers over there. They had Hollywood and then a picture of a chainsaw <laughs> hookers. So officially the title over there is Hollywood picture of a chainsaw hookers in the UK. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and this, that's how ridiculous it got. Now are they still that are they still uh that ridiculous or they have they mellowed out a little bit? They've mellowed out, but from what I understand, there there's still certain things like I mean I know we're way off topic, but who cares? <laughs> like zombie you know, in America, we got that as Zombie 2. They got it as Zombie Flesh Eaters. You know, everyone knows the famous zombie fighting a shark scene, oh, yeah. Lucio Fulci's movie. That movie still has not been released uncut over there. It's still missing about 40 seconds of footage. Wow. In 2014, to them, Zombie Flesh Eaters, to us, Zombie or Zombie 2, has still never been released uncut in the UK. Yeah, and uh, another, getting back to games and along the similar thing, um, uh, one game I heard about, Left for Dead 2, they, for the English, uh, ver- the, I'm sorry, not the English, but the British, the UK version of it, I guess they had to change the, uh, how the hand looked because uh, the way the American was, it was like making a peace sign, except, you know, the palm was facing away that, from that, you. So. That, that, yeah, that means something different in the UK. Yeah. That's the equivalent of a middle finger over here. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously not not a very uh, good idea for a game. Yeah, you're right. It would be like if some if you were walking through the video game store and you see a picture of a video game cover and it was just someone flipping you the middle finger. So, yeah, they <laughs> definitely the had to make Peter Jackson's bad taste, but British yep. version. So, and of course, as video game technology did improve, uh, we got games that could produce more realistic gore and somewhat got a bit more controversial. Uh, This is what I know, but when we were uh, sending some messages back and forth to discuss uh, an outline for the show, you mentioned Thrill Kill. Um, So I've heard a little bit about the game. I read a little bit about it, but uh, you want to enlighten us about Thrill Kill? Thrill Kill was what what I consider the first trolling video game. It was this was at the height of the fighters. This is when all of the Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter II, King of Fighters, all that knockoffs were everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere without a fighting game somewhere. So I think this was like '96, maybe I might be wrong in the year though. And Thrill Kill was let's one up all of them. It was a game that was designed to be as offensive as possible, like. One of the finishing moves was a guy that shoves you up his ass, he clenches his butt cheeks, and then craps you back out. The game was designed to be as offensive. They basically looked at, like, Mortal Kombat and said, that's nothing. We can way up things. In other words, we're going to make Mortal Kombat look like Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. And it was designed for, this is, I don't remember if the Xbox was out yet or if this was just the straight PlayStation era. 
but it was designed for the PlayStation. So, you know, very, you know, big polygons and whatnot. And it was never finished because PlayStation and every place said, you know, remember, this is when the ESRB is cracking down hard. They're like, you know what? No, nobody wants to touch this game. It was released five, six years ago on the internet. So you can play it. Mm -hmm. I think it's glitchy because it was unfinished, but you can play Thrill Kill. I've never played it. The reviews I've seen are the game is bland, lifeless, and the fighting is completely unoriginal. It's just a button masher. The only reason this game would have stood out in 96 was the offensive angle. Yeah, though I heard there was one, when reading about that, I heard there was one uh, aspect which was unique for the time. Wasn't it the one of the first games where they tried to do, like, four-player battles? I'm not so sure. Um, they were probably developing that, but I don't... Uh... Yeah, they were probably developing that. And, you know, that's one of the things where I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but when as a vid- if you do design a video game and you are going to get controversial, uh, Thrill Kill could almost serve as a cautionary tale because I think, I wonder if it's possible that the game designers were thinking so much on how can we make this game as offensive and controversial as possible that they kind of forgot to make a play a decent playable game. They forgot to make it good. Yeah, because <laughs> they thought it would sell mostly on the "Hey, I've got a we've got a game now where you can crap someone out of your butt." Hey, isn't that fun? Um, which and I know. Uh, see, some of the other games I I played. Uh, trying to think of it. Um, well, yeah. there's a weird controversial one mm-hmm. that you may not have known of, known about. You ever play the Final Fight games? Uh, Final Fight. Yes, I did. Yes. The side-scrolling beat-em-ups. Now, there's a big difference between the coin-op versions and the console versions. Now, obviously, you're going around punching people. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the people that you punch is a woman, and you know, and you know, you use they use the same stock characters over and over and over again. Yeah. So you're constantly punching a woman. Well, that was deemed offensive. So, and talk about shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> what they did when, when, when the Final Fight games came to home systems, the consoles, they specifically put in the booklet that Poison, the female character, is actually a man in drag. So oh. they're, now you're no longer punching a woman. Now you're just you're punching, punching a cross-dresser. a tranny? <laughs> yeah, what? This is... I think that made it worse. Yeah, it's, I think it was one of those things where there was... For the time, there it was kind of a no-win situation, because uh, yeah, okay, we can either have a game where you're punching women or you're punching cross-dressers. So I don't know which one was really be the the lesser of two evils there, so to speak. Domestic violence or a hate crime? Exactly. Um, and that's going on to um, another game that I don't know if you've played these or not, but uh, Grand Theft Auto. Have you played any of the Grand Theft Auto series? I've never been a GTA man. I am a Saints Row man. Yeah, I've never never played Saints Row. Um, I have a friend who I've watched him play Grand Theft Auto. I think it was the Vice City one, which, and we were talking about it one day, and I, of course I know one of the uh, things that was so controversial about it was, you know, of course you could pick up a, a prostitute in your car, do your deed with her, and then run her over and get your money back. Um, and I, one of the Saints Row games actually one up to that. Oh, really? You actually have a mission. You actually have a mission in Saints Row three 
where you have to drive a limo with a prostitute in the back while avoiding the she's banging a, a celebrity while avoiding the paparazzi. <laughs> the dialogue is so graphic. Uh, my wife's looking at me like, how is this game not an M? <laughs> yeah, and it was my friend who was uh, playing this game. He's like, you know, one of the things that he didn't like about the whole controversy is how they focused on that part. They missed the fact that it, Grand, you know, Grand Theft Auto, it was actually a pretty decent game. Um, you know, they, they made it, he felt that the people who were complaining about it made it sound more like the game was all about murdering prostitutes. When he's like, no, when I play this game, I usually just drive around doing wild and crazy stunts off of things. But then again, we asked the, I guess one of the things that I have a problem with when I listen to people who are against, you know, always complaining about violent video games, like shoot 'em ups and stuff, they seem to think that, okay, if a kid plays lots of Doom or Call of Duty, that's going to make them want to go out and shoot people. Well, and I believe you've addressed this on one of your your shows. Okay, just because you play a lot of shoot 'em up video games doesn't turn you into an expert marksman. Um, just like when, you know, I played a lot of Street Fighter, but I still haven't managed to figure out how to throw that fireball yet. Well, there, there's also the fact that people are afraid that what you see in the video game, let's go back to GTA and Saints mm -hmm. Row for a second. Do you notice something about Grand Theft Auto and Saints Row does this too? You know, you're allowed to drive through buildings and, you know, beat up random people on mm -hmm. the street. You notice there aren't any kids. You'll notice none of the buildings you're able to shoot are schools or churches. You notice that? No, I didn't. Uh, so I guess, sorry, I could say it's kind of good they kept that part out. They, they did that specifically because, you know, if you're going around and just running little kids over oh. that that there's no way you're getting over on the controversy of that yeah i can you know i can definitely see and um you know just i could certainly understand that yeah if you have a game where you are murdering you can just go murder children yeah that's uh yeah that's not that's not cool but then you've got you know the postal had all this this controversy all the postal mm -hmm. games and now you've got the new one which obviously we haven't played because the trailer was just released at the time of this recording hatred <laughs> Hatred seems to me to be a modern version of Thrill Kill done via Postal. The entire point of Hatred is to be as offensive as possible. You get extra points for killing innocents. You get extra points if you can make them beg for their lives. And children are worth double than adults. Wow, yeah, that's... I, 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 I watched the trailer for it because uh, you sent me a, a link to the, the trailer for Hatred, and I watched that. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's no way this one isn't going to, you know, stir the pot when it comes out. <laughs> it's uh, a game like Hatred. What it does is all it does, it, it doesn't. And I know they're going to do this at some point. They're going to try to claim it's a satire on video game violence. Mm -hmm. I know they're going to claim that because every one of these always does at some point yeah. when the when they get pushed against the wall. But all they end up doing is giving ammunition to the people who are already crusading against video games. You're not helping your side. Yeah, I can certainly see that. How uh, you know you make a game that's so tape that's that is tasteless, and 
you know, legitimately offensive. Yeah, I can see how that approach would be backfired. Well, we're just making a satire. Well, then not in good taste. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I've got a sixth sense of humor, and I think it was Postal 3. One of your weapons was a gun that shot AIDS-infected cats at people. Wow. Maybe I'm sick, but I found that funny. Well, it's interesting. Certainly not a... And certainly not something that you see in most games. And um, now, again, another one of the games that I, I remember there was a lot of controversy when it was about to be released, but the controversy actually died down once the game was, was finally out. Uh, I, don't, I don't think hatred is going to go like this. But do you remember the game Bully? I do not. Well, it was... I remember reading an article about it. I think it was in uh, video game uh, video game monthly or I forgot the name but it was a video game magazine and one of the things that of course the title alone was stirring um, some controversy because people are saying okay this game is going to glorify bullying it's going to because they were assuming a game that you know would be um, they were assuming that this game was going to make you were bully and you were going to be harassing people and uh, it was like i said it was going to make seem it was going to make it seem like being a bully was cool however the game actually it didn't really glorify bullying uh the, see the plot of the game is you're a, a a boy named jimmy who gets sent to a private academy because your mother and her new husband are going on a year-long honeymoon so you get dumped at this private school. It's a hell of a honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, and you know, how many people take a year-long honeymoon? But uh, anyways, so to get back uh, to the, the game, the it was interesting because part of the game mechanic is you would attend classes. And if you didn't attend your classes, you, you know, of course, you'd get in trouble and that would have effects on gameplay. However, if you did good at your classes, it would actually have in-game uh, benefits. Like if you did really well in your gym class, obviously it would boost your skill at fighting. Um, and if you did really good in your English class, that made it easier to talk your way out of problems. Um, so the, even though there was this controversy that it was going to glorify bullying, it actually was a really good game and no one died in the game. Um, and, and from what I recall the plot, uh, Jimmy is... Uh, having a conflict with uh, the head bully at the school. So in a way, you're the bully who fights the bully. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Because um, like I said, there was all this controversy. People were afraid that it was going to glorify bullying. But it turns out it, it didn't really glorify bullying. And it wasn't this violent uh, Grand Theft Auto type game that people were expecting it to be. Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm completely unfamiliar with that one, so I don't have a lot to add to that one. Yeah, and I said I never actually played it. I just you know read a few articles about it. But well, let's uh we talked about uh, several well fairly well known controversial games. Some of them probably more well known than others, and I'm sure there's there's tons more. I uh, could I could probably do dozens of episodes on controversial games, but. One thing that I found interesting when I was uh, researching for this uh, topic, uh, most of the controversial games I found were in the realm of video games. Um, I really didn't find much in the way of controversial board games or role-playing games. 
Now, of course, we both... Role-playing games, there are a few. Okay, because, I mean, I know, of course, D&D was controversial because people thought it encouraged Satanism and occultism, but uh, we're, you know, it's, we're not really going to, I wouldn't really get into that because it's, it, D&D was not intended to be controversial. It was essentially a, an extension of the wargaming hobby. Escape, really. Yeah. And now you said that you were some, you are aware of some that were controversial. For, yes. Uh, going back to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, mm-hmm. the role-playing game, when it originally came out, you know, it, it, it delved deep into the mutant world and all the, you know, you, you know how role-playing games can, I mean, Christ, you, you, you make your own systemless settings. Bundle. Yes. So you, you know how you can get deep into the lore and all this minutia that is never, ever going to have anything to do with the gameplay, but it's just there to kind of flesh it out. Oh, yes. The, the fluff, as, as uh, people, as gamers sometimes call it, where it's not rule-based, it's just background information. Right. Um, well, one of the one of the things in the TMNT one was how the different mutants could hook up, like sexually. Oh wow! <laughs> that was re- now you got to remember this was a game aimed at adults and and was honestly aimed at the comic book audience, the the original Eastman Laird version of TMNT. Yeah. But unfortunately. Then the cartoon came out, and it became kind of a kid's thing. So some kids started picking this up, and then mom and dad saw, why does your penis size and how it, how do the male and female parts go together? Why is this in this book? Yeah, I... And then they ended up removing all that stuff for later printings. Yeah, and again, you bring up a good point there, how the original TMNT that Eastman and Laird created was a lot more violent and gritty than you know but most people think of the cartoon series which was obviously heavily censored uh it's nothing like what the original one was um like the because as i recall in the first episode they actually kill shredder because that's what splinter raised the turtles to do to kill shredder for him uh yeah and actually one thing that uh you reminded me of there when you talked about how the game discussed uh, you know, the like the the sexual aspect of these mutants. Are you familiar with the? Because uh, I know you've played some Dungeons and Dragons. Did you ever get into Third Edition? I can't remember what one I played. See, I I never really played straight D and D. I was a Ravenloft guy. Okay. Cause... So I'm not sure. I I only played D and D a couple of times. To me, I'm not into the whole elves and dragons thing. I'm more into the zombies and vampires thing. Okay. Um, well, when Wizards of the Coast took over the Dungeons and Dragons brand, um, they released their own version of third edition. And one of the things that was kind of uh, unique for the time, they released the open gaming license. I don't. Are you familiar with that? No, I, I didn't have anything to do with this in the okay. Wizards of the Coast era. All my my gameplay was was back with TSR. Because the one of the things they did that was interesting with third edition, they introduced the open gaming license, which the essential of what it basically said is anyone can make uh, games and supplements now for Dungeons and Dragons without having to get our permission. And there were some limits, like there were things like, I think, Beholders and Mind Flayers, they, you know, you couldn't use those. Anything that was proprietary to TSR, you couldn't use but let's say you had a really cool idea for a Dungeons and Dragons adventure or a Dungeons and Dragons supplement. 
if you wanted to, under the OGL, you could create uh, an adventure and sell it to people without having to pay any sort of royalty to Wizards of the Coast. Now, depending on who you ask, some people think it was a really good idea. Some people think it was a horrible idea. Some people are kind of in between. But one of the problems was there wasn't any regulation. So while there were some D20 products released that you know, were really good products, there was some stuff that was just a steaming pile of, you know what? Well, one of the products they released that, uh, from what I understand, tried to, or that really uh, put an end to it, uh, the Book of Erotic Fantasy. It wasn't released by Wizards of the Coast. It was released by a third-party company. I forgot the name. I just know it begins with a V. But this was about how to integrate sex and sexuality in your D&D game. It introduced new skills and spells and such. But I saw the book at my local Barnes & Noble. I paged through it. And one of the things I saw in it was full frontal nudity photographs, not, you know, not sketches or paintings. Now, nudity doesn't bother me. I mean, I've taken life drawing classes, so it's not like I've never seen you know, naked people. But the fact for me is that it wasn't a book that any kid could just go and pick up and look at, you know, that kind of bother, you know, I guess that I was a little, uh, I didn't really think that was necessarily a good idea. But some of the stuff introduced in there, it was, again, it wasn't necessarily talking about, let me get my train of thought, but, but when I was paging. Well, you, you, you reminded me of something, though. Hmm. That, that reminds me of something from Legend of Zelda 2, or Link's Adventure, whatever the, the second Zelda game was on the, on the NES. Okay, the, the Adventure of Link? Yeah. Now, Maybe this is just where my mind was, considering that came out, you know, when I'm 15 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Remember how you would regain your strength when you're in a town? Oh, you would, t- yes. you would You would talk to this attractive woman, go into her house, and then come out fully restored. And then she would say something like, I hope you come back soon. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, did I just visit a whore? <laughs> yeah, and actually another, again, going back again, another game that, uh, did you ever play Galogo 13 for the NES? That one, I don't believe so. Yeah, I haven't. One of the things that, again, how this made it past Nintendo censors, I don't know. Your character smoked in the game. Um, and not only that, but... Ah, uh, the 80s. Yes. <laughs> but then again, but there was also scenes where uh, Galogo 13 was supposed to be this, you know, super studly um, assassin. He hooks up with female characters. They go in, you know, you, you know they're in a hotel room. Uh, you see the, you know, in glorious 8-bit graphics, the female figure going, you know, going up to the male figure, the lights go out, and then your health starts going up. <laughs> so, yeah. One, it's like the 8-bit version of the hot coffee mod, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but, yeah, to get back on track, so one of the things that was with uh, the book of erotic fantasy, uh, you know, again, depending on how you look at it, it's either one of the most original supplements or one of the most useless because I remember some of the things I saw when I was looking through it, like they had the like the gestation period of different humanoids. Now, seriously, when was the last time you needed to know the gestation period of a hill giant 
or maybe if you were being attacked by a pregnant hill giant and you were afraid whether you'd hurt the fetus and actually they did have pregnancy modifiers for how different stages of pregnancy would affect your uh affect your roles and such and they also had some other interesting things as well like uh they they did have a, a section on how people of different alignments would view sex and how uh, different races would view sex. Like I believe they had um, elves being more, you know, like free, you know, free love types where of course dwarves were more stuff. Filthy hippies. Yeah. Whereas the dwarves were more like, you know, along the line that, okay, sex is for procreation. Um, and that's Catholics. It. Yeah. So like, it's one of those supplements where, yeah, it, it was either extremely original or extremely useless. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm sure, of course, there's people that have the middle ground, but I think that's one of the things that helped, uh, that made Wizards realize that, okay, we do have, if we're going to do this open gaming license, we do have to, uh, you know, we do have to make sure that there's some content control. Um, any other tabletop role-playing games you can think about that were, um, you know, maybe somewhat controversial? I, I know I know there was some weird controversies. I can't remember if it was for Cyberpunk or for Shadowrun. I know there was some con- there were some controversies about about some of the sexuality in those RPGs as well. And I'm just going to lump them together because they're always going to be linked in my head as for Cyberpunk and Shadow Shadowrun. But one of them, you know, you you could one of the things you could do was go to a whorehouse. <laughs> and I, I mean, your cyberpunk is made for adults. I yeah. mean, the genre in and of itself is an adult genre. Horrors are kind of built into that, I think. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that's certainly a good point because, uh, you know, again, we do have that uh, whole, well, you know, RPGs nowadays, I think are designed for more of a broad audience back then. The, they were aimed more at teens and old, you know, older teens and adults instead of being something that, uh, like I think with the newer versions of D&D, they label it as like ages 12 and up. The newer versions, as far as I'm concerned, are nerfed. Well, we're getting about near the end here. So uh, before we go, uh, any final thoughts, Josh, on how you, what you feel about you know, controversial subjects matter for games? Do you think that they can potentially be constructive or do you think that it's more just people do this in a way because they're just trying to get attention to their game. I think controversy is stupid straight out, just mm-hmm. in general. doesn't matter whether it's about movies, pop culture, video games, music, whatever. If you don't like something, don't watch it. Don't exactly. play it. Don't read it. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to it. I, there's no one making you do this. I think controversy is idiotic. But then at the same time, controversy like you brought up at the beginning of the show, there's no such thing as bad publicity. In fact, you've you've got games like Hatred, which I think were solely made to be controversial, that in a way, they are playing against the stereotype because most controversies happen inadvertently. Mm -hmm. It's, I had no idea this would become controversial. But is it a true controversy if it's manufactured? That's true. If you, if you make something to be controversial, 
then it's not controversial because it's doing exactly what you intended it to do. Exactly. So what we so basically we need to be aware uh, when dealing with games, whether they're video games, role playing games, board games, we need to be we need to be aware that there's a difference between, as you were saying, the manufactured controversy controversy and the unintentional controversy. Um, like you're but then at the same time, things are made for different audiences. Not everything is going to be palatable for everybody. And I've written for Hustler magazine. Hustler's not intended for younger <laughs> readers. It's made for adults. When you make a movie called Natural Born Killers, it's idiotic that it becomes controversial that 14-year-olds are going to see it. Exactly. It's not made for them. Yep. So uh, I guess if there's anything we want that... Uh, to take away from this uh, episode, again, be aware of whether a company is trying to be controversial or whether it's a, uh, you know, unintentional. And as Josh said, always keep in mind the sub, you know, what the item is, what the media, whether it's a game, a book, a movie, whatever. Always be aware of what that particular piece of media. Who was it aimed for? Um, as Josh was saying, obviously, a movie like Natural Born Killers is not intended for kids. Now, of course, if Disney were to put an axe murdering scene in a Mickey Mouse movie, well, that's that's different. That's just stupid. Actually, not Disney, but Amblin. Look look back at Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Summer Vacation. There's an entire subplot, subplot about a chainsaw-wielding maniac <laughs> with a hockey mask terrorizing Plucky Duck and Hampton. Wow. Okay, so that's... Uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. Um, before we go, Josh, as I mentioned before, you've done se- you have an online presence. You've done several uh, radio shows. So where can people find you? 1201beyond.com. Okay. And uh, as for me, again, uh, POIGamestudio.com, or you can look up Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook. So I'd like to thank you guys for listening. Uh, thanks again. Thank you to uh, my guest, Josh Hadley, for helping me out with this episode. And have a, everyone have a good evening uh, or morning, afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. And happy gaming. Stay sick. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>